This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm really excited to bring our guests to the show today. Uh, We have something super special to talk about, and a lot of people know her in and around Washington, D.C., but at the Travis Mannion Foundation, we have come to know her as the co-founder of the Honor Project. Please welcome to the show, Emily Domenech. Professionally, Emily works as a senior policy advisor for Minority House leader Kevin McCarthy, Um, but I was first introduced to her with millions of other people last Memorial Day, completely separate from her professional life. In 2020, Emily was visiting Arlington National Cemetery on Memorial Day to visit her grandfather when she decided to put a single tweet out asking whether anyone had friends or families that they wanted visited that day. For those that don't know, Arlington was closed to anyone outside of family members on Memorial Day because of the pandemic. The request went viral, which we'll get a little bit more into, but it also paved the way for a sequence of events that has now led us to a new program at the Travis Mannion Foundation called The Honor Project. We're launching it this year, and we're so excited to talk about that and what it means to honor those who have given their lives in service to this country on Memorial Day. Emily, welcome to The Resilient Life. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yes. Um, So before we get into the Honor Project, I want to talk a little bit about your background. You live in D.C. Your grandfather is buried at Arlington. Uh, Mm -hmm. Arlington is 639 acres and the final resting place for hundreds of thousands of men and women who have served our country. What other connections do you have with the military community? Um, so the military is a huge part of my family. Um, my, my grandfather, as you mentioned, is, is buried at Arlington Cemetery. He was a, a career army officer, um, retired as a colonel, uh, served in World War II, uh, Vietnam and Korea. Um, so a, a decorated war veteran. Um, my, bro- my younger brother is currently in the Army Reserves. Um, he was an infantry officer who deployed to Afghanistan. Um, and my oldest stepdaughter uh, from my first marriage is an Army officer herself. She uh, went to the University of Virginia and did ROTC, and she's a first lieutenant stationed in Hawaii. So, so my family has, has always had a, a really strong military connection. And then I was fortunate enough early in my career um, to work at the Pentagon um, under the Bush administration and then the Obama administration. I was a, a personal staffer for um, then Secretary Bob Gates um, and, and was lucky enough in that role to, to spend a lot of time uh, overseas, um, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan during the earlier years of those two conflicts. Um, and and I, I got to see a lot on the ground as a really young staffer. Um, and I got to be uh, in the room with a lot of, of generals and senior officials as they made decisions about what was going to happen with those those young men and women who were who were deployed. 
Um, uh, in that role, I also spent a lot of time at Arlington. Um, so it's a place where when I go to visit my grandfather, I, I frequently uh, make the time to go visit Section 60 as well, um, because I went to funerals there with Secretary Gates. And I, I, I know how much, how important that section is to so many people like yourself who have, who were Gold Star families um, during, during the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Um, so it, it's always been something that I go back to. Um, you know, I, I last worked at the Pentagon in 2011, um, but it's something that you kind of never lose when you when you work in that community, um, particularly as a civilian, um, getting to to travel in a place where it's almost entirely military doing their number one job. You you, you don't forget that. Um, so it's been a big part of my career going forward. So I actually have a, a, a interesting story, and I think it speaks to um, Secretary Gates' commitment to our um, post 9-11 generation. Um, my brother was originally buried, uh, not at Arlington. He was buried uh, in a cemetery uh, outside of Philadelphia. We had a family plot. My grandparents are buried there, aunts and uncles. And um, after he was killed, it was kind of just, well, Travis is going to be buried at Calvary Cemetery. And mm -hmm. um, I talk about this a little bit in my book, but I actually had a conversation, one conversation with Travis, um, where he brought up to me, we were literally sitting at my kitchen counter having a beer. And he said, uh, hey, you know, just if anything ever happens to me, I want to be buried at Arlington. Mm -hmm. And I like gave him a look of disgust, like, why are you even talking to me about this? And I said, well, you'll be buried at uh, Calvary with the rest of the family, so get used to it. And he started laughing, and like that was it. And then when he was killed, you know, for my mom, I was watching my mom making these decisions, and she was really dead set on him being buried at Calvary. And and I was like, there is no way that I'm going to say anything right now. Um, so right. <laughs> let this happen. And as soon as he was buried there, we kind of knew that. Um, we all knew collectively that that probably wasn't going to be his final resting place. I ended up actually telling, sharing with my parents um, mm -hmm. conversation that we had. And then a couple of my brother's friends came to my dad and shared that they had had similar conversations. Mm -hmm. And so Travis was buried at Calvary Cemetery for three years. He never put a gravestone up. There was a wooden wow. cross there and a laminated picture of him. That was it. And it was when Brendan Looney was killed um, September 21st of 2010 and his widow, um, when she's being asked, where do you want Brendan buried? She said next to Travis. And my parents were actually with her at the time. And they said, well, Travis is buried in Philadelphia. Brendan's from Maryland. It doesn't make sense. And she said, well, why can't they just be buried together at Arlington? Wow. It was that moment that it took my mom to, my mom used to go to the cemetery every weekend. And mm -hmm. so it was three years and that moment that took her to say, it's time to move Travis to Arlington. And so we wanted them to be buried next to each other. And we actually had to work and get approval from the secretary of the army because he could be reinterred there. He could be reinterred there at any time, right. but it's a process that would take months, maybe years. And so we got in touch with the secretary of the army who gave approval for him to be reinterred there. But in order for him to be reinterred next to Brendan, he would have to be buried before Brendan. So we reinterred Travis in a week, moved him from wow. Philadelphia to Arlington, buried him on a Friday, 
and then buried Brendan next to him that Monday. And um, I remember feeling um, a really deep amount of gratitude for the Secretary of the Army and all of the people in very senior positions that had to work to make that happen. And I'll never forget on um, Brendan's funeral, it was a Monday, it was pouring rain. Um, the grounds were so sloppy and we were all standing there just covered in mud. And I was standing with my parents and I turned, literally just looked because somebody had walked up in a big trench coat and it was Secretary Gates standing there with no fanfare, wasn't, you know, he was to the back, wasn't looking to have anyone notice that it was him. He was just there to honor Brendan. And I'll never forget that moment because a lot of people didn't even really realize that he was there. Um, and we got into the car afterwards and my dad said, Secretary Gates was just standing next to us. And I'm like, I know. And, you know, and just to know that, again, he was coming there because it was the right thing to do, that he, he wanted to honor. He had clearly learned what was happening with Travis being interred, reinterred there and Brendan being buried there. And he came to honor Brendan's sacrifice. And, and that meant so much to my family. I know it meant so much to Amy when I shared with her because she didn't even know. I said, do you know that Terry <laughs> Gates was at Brendan's funeral? And no, I didn't know that. And so um, just a, not to pivot, but a small story about um, understanding his commitment. So clearly, um, you working for him, you, you realize that um, the big commitment that he had for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that story because one of the things that the secretary used to do was he would, he would regularly attend funerals at Arlington um, uh, for, for, for soldiers who had been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and he used to do it exactly like that on purpose. Um, we had a big debate with the, you know, the every, whenever you go anywhere as the secretary, there's always so much fanfare and security and staff and everybody wants to make a big deal and make it perfect for you. And he, he really never wanted to do that. And we had to have a kind of come to Jesus with the folks at Arlington that he was going to sometimes just show up and he wanted to be able to stand at the back. And I, I, I can tell you, he will be thrilled to hear that nobody noticed him because that's what he wanted. He wanted to be there to honor the person who was being honored, not to draw attention away from them. And I, I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to hear that, that it actually worked after, after all the times we tried to get it right. Um, so it, it's really wonderful to hear that, that you had that experience with him. He, like you said, it's, it's, it's hard to work for somebody like that who really did absolutely not, not only understand what he was asking um, American young men and women to do on behalf of the country, he talked about it a lot, um, but he also spent a lot of time trying to hear from them directly when they were in theater and then also to, to make sure that he remained connected with their families, um, particularly, particularly the families of the fallen um, um, after, after they were returned home. Um, and it was a big part of what he thought his responsibility was as secretary. And I, I was very fortunate to work for him when I was very young um, and a very young and impressionable staffer. And I can't think of a better place to, to sort of shape your career than working for somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to Memorial Day 2020. We're in the throngs of COVID. And I know for us at our organization, you know, I typically am at Memorial or at Arlington every Memorial Day. And it is, I, it, it's weird to say this, but it is one of my favorite days of the year because I'm mm -hmm. able to visit these hollow grounds and be around so many other people, friends and families of fallen service members. And 
you know, I always said when, when I lost my brother that uh, my family became a part of a club that no one wants to ever be a part of, but you have the opportunity to connect with people um, and fear, feel that same shared sense of loss. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to make those connections and form those relationships um, with, other, with other families. But this Memorial Day in 2020, Arlington was closed to the public. It was open only to those who had family pass holders, who had a loved one buried there. And you decide that you're going to Arlington to visit your father's grave. So I, I want you to tell us what happened from there. Yeah. So, so I, interestingly enough, I, I go, I go every veterans day and every Memorial day weekend. And normally I go on Sunday um, because on, on Monday on Memorial day, there's typically a big event for, for the president um, or, or some kind of event with dignitaries. It can often be kind of hard to get into the cemetery. Um, but when I have gone in the past on, on Memorial day proper, um, it is exactly like you described. It's a place where there's almost a sense of community, um, particularly among the people who have lost, um, you know, lost family members in recent wars um, and among service members who have lost their, 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 their battle buddies. Um, and what I realized as I was pulling into the cemetery, I'm literally turning on to, you know, Eisenhower to go into the cemetery. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, none of these guys who come to visit their, their, you know, the, the guys who they served with are going to be able to get in today. Um, and, and that's a huge part of what you see on Memorial Day, far more so than Veterans Day, um, where I do think it is really much more like families like myself who are, you know, honoring their grandparents or, or, or you know, loved, one, loved ones who are buried there. It's much more of the like current military community on Memorial Day. And the thought that none of that was going to be there just just totally blew me away because it's it's such an important part. I think that those sort of like regular milestones to honor people are so it's such an important part of preserving their memory. And especially for the friends and and you know comrades, you know, you don't get to do that every day. You don't have pictures of them in your house. You don't you don't get to honor them in the way that you do a family member. Um, so and and you could see it as soon as you turned into the cemetery. There was way less people there. Um, it's very it was very empty and it just it just really sat differently with me. Um, so I thought to myself and I I really honestly thought of three or four friends of mine who are military service members who I know um, are they're either current or retired and I know they have friends who they served with who are buried in Arlington. And I, that's who I thought of when I sent out the tweet and I just said you know hey if you've got people who are buried here. You can't get in unless you have a family pass, but I'm already here. So if you want me to go and pay respects on your behalf, I'd be happy to do so. Um, and and then I just left it at that. And I went and visited my grandfather's grave and I left a flower there and I spent a, spent a few moments. And then I looked at my phone and I had, you know, six or seven responses. And two were from people I knew who I had thought of when I sent the tweet and the rest were from people I didn't know at all. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, this is so cool. And I sort of started and I didn't think about, didn't think it through at all. They were all in different parts of the cemetery. I probably wasted a solid 40 minutes, not planning, just bopping around to those first like six or seven requests. And then I looked at my phone again and I had 30 more. Um, and I realized I had been retweeted by a handful of folks who um, I've got a lot of friends in media and I had been retweeted by someone who I know has a really large veteran following. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> this could get out of hand real quick. And it, and it did. Um, and within, you know, within an hour, I had hundreds of requests 
I had more people than I could possibly respond to. And I was literally running through the cemetery, trying to get to as many places as I possibly could. I, I called my brother who is in media himself and just said, you got to help me get a handle on this. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to miss somebody and feel bad about it because there's so many responses. I don't even know what to do. And, and he graciously went through and looked at all the replies I hadn't touched yet and put them in a document for me and started putting the location of the grave next to them and flagged a couple that he thought were worth really like, make sure you go to this one. Um, and and I, I definitely would have visited way less without his help. Um, Cause that was a huge part of, of helping me be organized and sort of think through how do I, how do I make sure that I maximize my time? Because as you know, Arlington is only open for certain periods of time. They're only open until five o'clock. And, and during pandemic land, none of the buildings were open. So there's no bathrooms or water or anything like that the whole way through. Um, so so I, I did have to take a break at one point because I had not planned at all to be out in the sun for the entire day. Um, and I, I brought my parents back with me for like the last two hours in the cemetery and they helped me touch a couple of places that I that I probably wouldn't have been able to get to um, because I sort of had to make the decision that I was gonna focus on section 60 um, because there were hundreds of responses and there was just no way I was gonna get to all of them. So I spent the last two hours of the day photographing graves and replying to people who had requested them exclusively in section 60, um, uh, which is, you know, a really moving place to, to, to and I stayed until they kicked me out. <laughs> um, so, so it was it was a really incredible experience um, that I I don't think I could I, I I could never have anticipated that it would become such a thing. Um, I think by the by the end of the day, the original tweet had like fifty thousand retweets or something like that, and and I had more. I mean, I've never gone back and looked at every reply because it's just totally overwhelming. <laughs> but the beautiful thing was is that every grave that you did visit took a picture and you put that picture out on Twitter. So that family or that request, that battle buddy that um, sent that request in, they knew that 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 that, yeah. had that you had stopped yeah. that grave, that you had paid your respects that day. That, that was really the key. And I think that's what made it so unique, not just for, for the people who I was replying to, but for the people who were following along as it happened in real time, is that it was all in the same thread so I was replying to individual replies throughout the day in order with a photograph. I tried really hard to, if it was, you know, sometimes people, you know, that you can have two people buried in one grave. So it was a grandfather and a grandmother. And I, I tried really hard to make sure I, I, I took time with each side. I didn't, I wish I had thought ahead and had something to leave behind for each grave, but I didn't. Um, um, but I, but it was really unique to not only be able to tell that person directly, person to person, I went to visit the person you want to honor today, right now, in this moment. Here's a photograph. And now I want everyone else to see it and know their name and know who they were and, and be able to share that moment. Because that, that was just, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for Gold Star families, um, one of the things people ask me all the time, like, what, what do families of the fallen want other people to know? What do they mm -hmm. want them? And, and, and it's very simple. They don't want their loved one to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. and, and it's as simple as that, but it's also hard because how do you make sure that your loved one's legacy, their memory, their name lives on? And mm -hmm. there was an old Indian proverb that was shared with us very shortly after Travis was killed. And I'm going to mess it up in the way it 
but it, you know, something to the effect of as long as their name is spoken, they shall never die. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard it over and over, um, a thousand times over since then, but it's true. You know, when we want you to talk to us about, ask us about, I want people to ask me about my brother. People Mm -hmm. want them. They want to share stories. They want to share their name. They want to know what their service was. And so, um, you connected with us very shortly after Memorial Day because, um, and and we were tracking because you actually received on top of what you were doing started <laughs> donations, and um, you yeah, that, that was a wild part of the the day. About halfway through the day, I had somebody be like, "Hey, I found her Venmo. Everybody, start Venmoing her so she doesn't have to buy beer ever again." And I was like, "Wait a minute! I'm a congressional staffer. Stop that right now!" Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, and-, and I I thought in the moment I tried to think of like. Where can I send these people who desperately want to be a part of this effort and they want to help, but like the, I'm not the right person to take that help. So I, I thought of, I, I named two veterans charities and one of them was, was Travis Manion Foundation. One was the boot campaign. And both of them came to my mind because of their, their really, your really incredible connection to the veteran community. Um, I had heard about the Travis Manion Foundation because of our mutual friend, Mary Catherine Hamm, um, who's on your board and has participated in more runs for the Travis Manion Foundation than I can count. I think yeah. I donated a couple of times before. And, and I, and I, so you immediately came to mind as, as the sort of right place to send people. And it was absolutely thrilling to hear after the fact that there had been so many donations because it was like oh good something good came out of this crazy thing besides like one day there's a there's a legacy here that's really really exciting to share and I, I was I was thrilled that that worked out as oddly as it did <laughs> well and you know I actually saw you on Dana Farina's show and caught I I turned it on and literally caught the the back end of what was happening, went on, saw your Twitter. And then she said, and where would you, you know, what are veterans charities that you support? And you said, the Travis Manning Foundation. I was like, oh my gosh. And and I knew, and I'm like, Mary Catherine, and you know, and, and the connection came, you and I got on the phone and you said, I want to make this something. And, and for right then and there, I was like, we're doing this because for us at the foundation, we have always, every year, you've always pushed the narrative of like, guys, the most important thing you can do today is learn the story of a fallen service member and Mm -hmm. share it with someone else. But we had yet to come up with a tangible way for people to do that. And all of a sudden it was like, this is it. So hence was born the honor project, which kicks off, um, 2021 Memorial day. And I'm so excited to be doing this with you and heading this up with you because I think, again, I think the response from families knowing that we're still in a, in a tough place right now. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know how many families will be able because of travel restrictions or whatnot, get to Arlington National Cemetery to visit their loved ones. But to know that there are going to be volunteers that are going to be there and, they're, that, and, and this year we're gonna have it organized it's going to be well planned out. It's going to be more than just you. So every single request that comes through is going to be honored. That is my commitment right here. I know it's yours. Like every single gravesite that a uh, family asks to be visited, we are going to hit that gravesite. We are going to leave a token of appreciation and we are going to take a picture. We're going to put it out 
on Twitter and we're going, that family is going to know that your loved one was remembered today, not by just you, but by a stranger that took the time to say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn their name. I'm going to learn their story. Um, so I'm really excited for that to happen. And I think, you know, as we, we pay our respects to the fall and we looked to your example as the inspiration for how we do that, you know? And I think there's some beauty in this idea that this started off as one individual just not fully thinking it through and, <laughs> and, out and then finding out that this could be something really beautiful that we could do not just at Arlington National Cemetery, but the hope is that in years to come, we are rolling this out to national VA cemeteries across the country. And, um, and that hundreds of thousands of people will come out every year service to the service and sacrifice to honor these fallen heroes in a tangible way. Um, yeah, one of the things I love about it is that, and, and I'm so grateful for the partnership with you and your team. Um, I think part of what made that first Memorial Day so magical was that it was this like a stranger reaching out to a stranger to honor someone that we, you know, that I never met. Um, and, and I think the fact that we've been able to come up with a plan that maintains that that person to person connection while also maximizing it to the greatest extent to visit the most requests. Because um, like you said, I mean, it's the, the ability to make sure that anyone who asks will be able to have their their fallen their their fallen loved one be visited is is incredible. And that was the biggest failing about the you know one random tweet in a one on one run one random day is that I knew I was never going to be able to get to all the requests. I knew there was just no physical way for me to visit every grave that came in on that day. And, and, and you're right. Like when I came to you to, when we first started talking about this project, being able to be sure that we could both maintain that personal relationship, that personal connection, and also make sure there wasn't a single grave that went unvisited was, was incredibly important to me. I'm, I'm so excited that we've been able to, to, to build a structure to do that. Absolutely. So I, I have to say, you know, I, I want to make sure that people know to learn more about the Honor Project, to learn how you can get involved, how you can be a part of it. Go to travismanion.org. It's going to be right there on our homepage, right on the slider. Click the Honor Project. You can find out if you can't be a volunteer in Arlington on Memorial Day, we've come up with a lot of different ways that you can actively participate in honoring the fallen this Memorial Day. And so we hope that all of you um, will be a part of that, will take a part in remembering the service and sacrifice of the men and women who have given their lives in defense of this country. And, and for me, that's what's, what it's all about. Um, you know, my biggest fear last year in 2020 was that uh, Memorial Day was gonna be overshadowed by mm -hmm. everything else that was happening within our country. And on some levels, I feel like it was, um, it was this, leading moment that came and went. And, and I hope that there is never another Memorial Day um, that takes place like that, that, you know, no matter what we're dealing with, what kind of turmoil and strife we're dealing with within our country, that day is for the fallen. That mm -hmm. day is for the men and women who have given us the rights to, to do everything we do in this country. And I think it's so simple, but it's so important that we at least take 24 hours out of the year to understand that and recognize that. And I think that it, 
it is something that transcends everything else. And, and it should continue to be that. Um, what do you, what advice do you have for people who may be searching for a way to make a difference in a small way? I mean, you certainly did not think you were going to get, um, that this was going to blow up in the way it did. You were trying yeah. to do a small act of service, a small act of like paying it forward. How, what advice do you give to other people who may be just searching to do something along those same lines? I think it's in some ways it's don't be afraid to do something just because it feels small. Um, I, I, you know, my, my intention as I, as I went into Arlington, I really did think about a handful of people. Um, and, and it would have been just as important to me if I had only helped those five people, um, because that was, you know, that would have been worth it. Um, and, and I think sometimes people feel like in order to really help someone, you have to do something big and grand and it has to be some, some you know, overblown event. And, and you really don't. I think that the, the personal connection is, matters more than almost anything else. Um, and, and that's true for something like Memorial Day where you're you know, taking the time to, to reach out to someone who you know lost a loved one um, or, or even just you know, helping somebody carry their groceries. It's, it's a, doing something small you never know what that kind, what that impact can have on somebody else, and and don't be afraid to do it just because it seems like it's not that big of a deal. Um, I think you know because you just never know what might happen. But also, if all you do is help one person, it it's definitely still worth it. Absolutely, I always I always say you know when I talk about Travis, I always say that Travis was big in the little things, mm -hmm. and because he was big in the little things, it prepared him to be big in the big things and the big moments um, where he really had to step up. And uh, whenever I have the opportunity to talk to kids, I always say, you know, it's about being big in the little things and the everyday. I love that. Um, so I think this is, this is a, a grand example of how you are big in the little things and, and how you're stepping up to be big in the big things, you know, with this honor project campaign kicking off. Um, and so I'm, I feel, energized and just ready to make this Memorial Day one that um, we can all remember and one that we can hopefully um, set an example for what Memorial Days to come can and should look like. And, you know, I give a tremendous amount of credit to you for planting that seed, for bringing it to the Travis Manning Foundation and for the opportunity to partner together in this. It's going to be really exciting. Um, and I, I look forward to, I look forward to learning the stories of more fallen heroes, to take mm -hmm. time at section 60, to not just visit my brother and his friends that he served with, but to learning the stories of new individuals um, that I may never have known. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I think it's a beautiful thing and one that uh, I know our volunteers are looking forward to as well. Emily, as we close out for today, um, I always ask the same question to our guests as they're leaving. What does living a resilient life look like for you? I, I, I love that part about um, sort of the, the, the motto behind this podcast, because I think it's so relevant to, to what everybody has gone through in the last year and a half. Um, uh, I think a resilient life is one where you remain focused on the, the positive things that you can bring into the world around you. Um, and you don't spend more than 
that more time than is necessary thinking about the negative things that you leave behind. Um, I was uh, I was watching the Marty Schottenheimer special on ESPN yesterday, and he had a a whole thing about you know it's one play at a time, um, one play at a time, um, and then you can only think about the bad play until midnight that day, and then you got to move on. Um, and I think that that is the best story of like how to approach um, teaching yourself to be resilient um, that I that I can think of, um, and it it really does apply to, I think, pretty much anything you could possibly work on. If you, you know, you, you never, nothing is ever going to go your way every day. Um, but if you keep it as a, you know, okay, I'm going to take this one play at a time and make the next one the best I possibly can. Um, then I think you're, you're well on your way to, to living a resilient life. And, and I, I hope to do that myself. I love that one, one play at a time. And mm-hmm. I think that's super important for us all to uh, think about, you know, when we focus on the negative, we can't move forward with the positive. So one play at a time. Don't let yourself dwell too much on the negative. Um, we're not going to dwell on any of the negative. We're going to focus all on the positive, the impact we're going to have this Memorial Day, the honor project, travismanion.org to learn more, to become a part, to be a part of remembering uh, all of those who have given their lives in service to this country this Memorial Day. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on The Resilient Life. Thank you so much for having me and I can't wait to work with you on this incredible project. Ditto. Please make sure to like, subscribe and share The Resilient Life with others and looking forward to you learning more about the Honor Project at travismanion.org.